Hello and welcome to the Three Chips Pod, your extra chip that you can use every game week of the season. We thank you for tuning in to the first pod. We're just three ordinary guys, working offices with a passion for fantasy football. We always say usually fantasy football can wait for a Friday afternoon. Never really works out that way. I'm Carl. Um, my fantasy team is currently sitting at around 60,000 in the world. Um, had a brief spell in the top 12,000, but a few poor transfers and COVID's maybe dwindled down the ranks a little bit. Much of the success I've had has really been based around probably having Calvert-Lewin from the start, Martinez from the start, and keeping faith in Kane and Son. I'm joined by the other two members of the three chips, Jack and Dan. Jack, tell us a bit more about your fantasy side. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, um, I'll probably sum up my fantasy side by saying the high or the low light was bringing Son out for his monster game week against Southampton in, in game week two. Um, I think I'm around 500k at the moment, but we'll see where that ends up at the end of this game week. Dan, tell me a bit more about yours. Uh, so my fantasy team is currently sitting just over 1 million, so not doing as well as Carl or Jack, but you know there's always room for improvement. Um, I started off quite well, got Hammers in early doors, and I think what's really been a problem for my team is just keeping hold of players for too long or not making that move early enough, and I think that's what's really cost me this season. I think it's safe to say Dan's probably victim of overthinking transfers. I'm not thinking about them enough at times. <laughs> I think it's the overthinking <laughs> and just getting too much into the stats. Okay, so what we're going to look at today, we're going to take a look at the current game week that we're in at the moment. We're then going to talk about, um, we're then going to have a review of the year, so we're going to look at that. Preview of next year going to have a little discussion whether we should be keeping Salah in our team if you've got him and I think most people do and then we're going to look at the king of the game week which will be our feature session that we run every week so this current game week probably only one place to to really start in the current game week is probably John Stones and we're all probably fortunate enough to have him in the team I think Jack didn't you transfer him in just for this week yeah, minus four for Walker Peters, and I was debating that for a couple of days, and, and pulled the trigger, um, tripling up on, on City. So it's one of those where, I mean, without the two goals, it's not looking great. But to come in and land that, you've got to take it for sure. So yeah, twenty-one points I think he's got for the game week. Um, so count the minus four, and it's still seventeen. So it's pushed me into triple digits for the first time in a long time. Um, but yeah, we're all lucky owners, I think. Sure, I think that's one thing. I think I'm sitting currently on 131, and you're not far behind, Jack. I think Dan has dwindled way oh. behind, and actually, probably would be one of the lowest in the, the whole of the game if it hadn't <laughs> been for John Stones this week. I've got 94 points so far in this game week, but it's worth bearing in mind that Liverpool are still playing, so Salah can still come on and score a hatty. Stones um, is a um, an injury yes. rest for next week with a bad back, I think, after carrying you this week, Dan. Yeah, I mean, between Stones and Diaz, they contributed for over half or nearly half my points for the week. So, Man City have massively dug me out of what's quite quite an average game week, considering I bench boosted as well. So, I've got the pain this week of having Kevin De Bruyne, triple captains, and brought off on 59 minutes, meaning I missed six points right off the bat. The most painful thing of that... And the penalty from Sterling, yes, skied over the bar. Probably the most painful element of that whole scenario is at 59 minutes, not only did he come off, but Jesus wasn't even ready to come on. 
he was still getting his top on and De Bruyne runs off the pitch, almost as if he knew. Um, Jack, you're probably in a bit of a painful situation yourself, aren't you? Liverpool currently playing in part of game week 19. Captain Salah, he's sitting on the bench. Yeah, classic. At least it's not triple. But um, Well, if he can repeat his heroics against, was it Palace where he came off and Scored two and assisted one in about half an hour. So yeah, and the seven, that was, seven nil yeah. where we all had him captained. Yeah, we'll take that. Looking. But what, no, what I meant with um De Bruyne and the penalty was he would have taken the that penalty surely that Gundogan slotted away. So really, that that subs probably or well, that injuries probably cost you twenty four points. I reckon. Yeah, a, a considerable <laughs> amount. <laughs> and Dan, tell me, probably. Saka saving one of the worst bench boosts I've ever seen. Well, yes, it didn't, it didn't exactly go well. I mean, Kurt Zuma didn't even play, so actually Saka hasn't even saved my bench boost because with Zuma not playing, Saka would have just come on anyway. So really, it's not been a good bench boost. I've scored four points from it. Um, I think the problem is with the chips is that I've just historically never done well with any of them. Um, the only time a chip has ever genuinely come in use is when I triple captain De Guerrero when he put five past Newcastle. Um, but take that aside, for me, it's just never gone well. It just always seems to be bad luck, or in this case, poor judgment. There is one thing in the game week. Oh, there is one thing on the game week I want to discuss outside of our teams, and that is West Brom. So. West Brom in the two games in this double game week against West Ham and Wolves have scored four goals. Both both fixtures away from home. Wolves probably notorious for haven't done well this year, but notoriously do have a good defence and have conceded three against West Brom there. And West Ham again in good form, but also conceded against West Brom. Does that make West Brom attackers potentially an option going forward? Dan, you're the one that notoriously hits on transfers early and probably incorrectly, so tell me what you're thinking. And I can go the opposite. Well, the fact I'm not going to go in for any West Brom players probably says that everyone else should. Um, yeah, they had a good good game week this week. But you look at their fixtures coming up. They've got City at home, then Fulham and Sheffield United. Arguably two good games to pick up points, but then Spurs and United. I just don't see a world where West Brom continue to keep scoring goal after goal and keep racking up points. Um, you look at the main player who scored them 24 points in prayer this week, but it could well have easily been any of their any of their players that got them those goals. So I think it's quite difficult to pick a certain West Brom player that you know is going to be consistent and score points. Jack, any thoughts? Yeah, on, on the West well, on, on West Brom with Big Sam, you always think clean, clean sheets, don't you? So I, I brought in Johnston, or, yeah, the keeper for the double. Obviously, COVID took him out the first game and two points in the second. But I think I'll, I'll keep him in and you may get the occasional match if um, Villa have a few tough fixtures coming up, which I think they do. Um, but yeah, I think, like Dan said, in terms of picking attacking assets for West Brom, I mean, Pereira is not a bad option at his price, but there's probably more consistency to be found outside of that team. But I mean, you never know, right? The season as it's been from now until a couple of weeks' time, who knows what it, what it will be like. You might see Pereira smash another four goals in the next couple of weeks and everyone will be all over him. So we'll wait and see, I think. OK, mm. and finally, last game of the game week, Aston Villa-Newcastle. As a Newcastle fan, I'm going to start off the prediction and I'm going to go 3-1 Aston Villa. Steve Brewster walk. Dan, any predictions? 
I can't. I just think it's going to be a high-scoring game, you know. Like Villa, you look at how well they've played lately and really good. And I just think Newcastle just do a game where they actually turn up and want to play. I know, Carl, you've been quite negative about Newcastle this year. Um, it's actually quite bleak and depressing to see how negative you're being about them. But they're just surely they're due a week where they just turn up and actually perform. And Steve Bruce's tactics work. And most importantly, because I have Wilson in my fantasy team, he bags a couple of goals. He's been on a bit of a dry spell lately. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping for that. Spoken like a bit of a gambler at the roulette wheel. It's bound to come in eventually. <laughs> Jack, predictions? Yeah, so as a owner of Grealish, Martinez and Wilson, I mean, what's guaranteed to happen is a 1-0 Newcastle win with an Andy Carroll 89th minute goal, not only to spite um, the Martinez clean sheet, but Grealish will probably also see himself sent. Um, so, Dan, if you're looking to finally win a football bet, mate, that might be the one to back. <laughs> Um, but yeah, genuinely, I think Newcastle might surprise us. Um, I think the fixtures, I mean, Villa, Villa had some decent results over the last few. Obviously, the, the City result wasn't ideal, but I think they performed generally quite well. Um, so maybe they're, they're due a bad a bad display and Newcastle might just be that, that side to catch them out. That's but yeah, 1-0 Newcastle. That's potentially one thing we've missed, isn't it? Out of everything this game week is... That offside decision at Man City. Don't know if either of you seen that decision, but Rodri, probably about three meters offside, comes in from an offside position to take the ball off Mings as he brings it down. Somehow to not be offside because Mings makes a deliberate attempt for the ball. Even the BT referee decided that he thought it was a penalty. Sorry, thought it was offside, and then turned out that <laughs> it actually wasn't at all. It's a mad one, but it is. If you, I mean, I think you sent the photo today. The actual letter of the law is that it's a correct decision, but how that can be the case is mental. Um, but yeah, that game would have been a nil-nil would have been lovely, but I still take the, the three city clean sheets. You can't slate the ref for making that decision if that's the letter of the law. As ridiculous as the law is, is the law that's wrong and not the referee. I've seen on Twitter and other social media, the refs getting a lot of stick for it, which for me, I'm not sure is the right right anger or right way to like vent your anger at it. I think it's the rules that need to be rewritten rather than having the referee slated for an alleged poor decision. Yeah, I think there's an element there where it is open to interpretation still around whether Ming made a deliberate play for the ball. I mean, is bringing the ball down a play in the ball? Don't know. But just one of the one of the many laws of the game to be reviewed. So moving on to the next bit, the next bit of our podcast today. So we're going to be looking, we're going to be taking a review of the year so far. So we're going to cover three things here. We're going to talk about bargain of the year. We're going to talk about Mr. Reliable and the special Lundstrom scholarship, looking at the best person to have come up from one of the promoted sides. So, best bargain, um, start with you, Dan. Who's your pick for best bargain up to this point in the year? I think for me, there's two choices that come to mind with Susek and Bamford. Um, but I look at it and I, I know Bamford's gone up to 6.6, I think he is now, but starting at five and a half, scoring over 100 points for Leeds, I think for me, if you had him in early, which I know you did, Carl, um, I've just got on him quite, quite late and shocky blanks this week. 
Um, but yeah, so for me, I can't really see past Pat Bamford as a bargain of the season. Jack, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off some stats around um, points per million. So for every million player cost, what's been the points? Um, any guesses on who tops that list? Um, this is inclusive of, of this game week, so this might change by by the time people are listening. But any guesses? Going to think John Stones probably based on the amount he scored <laughs> this week, but. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to shout Stones, but if you look before this game week, I probably would have said either Susek or Bamford. Yeah, so, so top in it is, um, is Martinez. 17.5 points per million, so he's still there. Um, so I think on stats alone, you, you say Martinez. Um, but I think, yeah, but for me, Bamford's probably the best pick based on his price alone at where he was if you owned him early. Um, that value was just kind of unbeatable for me. Yeah, I I think I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I think just add another another person in the mix. I think James Justin's one to look at. I think didn't he come from Luton Town to Leicester? <clears throat> I don't think anyone really thought about Justin too much this year until the injury uh, to Pereira. And yeah, I think he's just been phenomenal there I think he's gone from 4.5 I think he's rated at 5 now he's been a mainstay in my team since week 1 really so I think that would be the I think Justin will be a really interesting one looking to the second half of the season with Pereira coming back whether or not he'll he'll stay in in that role which I think to be honest he deserves to but whether or not Rodgers will um, want his kind of main man in Pereira to be back in the side um, we're kind of a wait and see on that one. But yeah, another one where if you owned him early, um, the, the price and I mean, not only the clean sheets that Leicester have got, but some of the attacking output that Justin's delivered has been, yeah, second to none. I think really part of, Carl, while you've had a, a really good at least start to the first half of the season is having those high scoring, decent value players in early um, and just kind of sitting on them. So we'll see how that shapes up and we'll get onto it in a, in a second. Okay, so... I think stats can't really lie here. Um, so I think really between the three, I think Martinez is probably our pick here for bargain of the bargain of the year so far. And on to the next category, so Mr. Reliable. So this is the person that you can put in your team and you can almost guarantee some points coming from this person. And I think I'm going to kick off this one with Harry Kane. So I think some of the strikers have been hit and miss this year. So, so Vardy, I don't think you could... Call Vardy consistent. I know Bamiang's moved into midfield, but again, the consistency isn't there. Aguero has been out injured. I think in amongst strikers this year, Harry Kane's been the one that I can probably say, you know, I've had him in the team for, I think, since around week three. And I think he's probably scored most game weeks. Jack, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so looking at some of the stats, Kane's, Kane's the obvious pick. I mean, when you when you look for consistency, really, it's about your big hitters being consistent. You don't mind kind of your, your 4.5 defenders blanking every other week. Um, but Kane, is he 12, 12 and a half? Um, and yeah, like you said, there's not been many game weeks where he has blanked so far this season. And I think the way Spurs are so reliant on him and the way the, the link up he's got with Sun, I, I can see that con- continuing all season. I think he'll probably go on to win the Golden Boot. Um, both, well, maybe even 
I don't know what the boot's called for assists, but I think he might top the charts goals and assists, which would be massive not only for him, but Spurs and also our fantasy sides. But just quickly, Dan, before jumping to you, I think looking at maybe a more recent time frame, I think just the City defence have, have been kind of a bunch of Mr. Reliables. Um, I think I was looking at the stats or a stat yesterday and it was since um, DS joined City, I think it was 15 clean sheets in 22 um, in all competitions and in, in matches he's played. So, yeah, as, a, as an owner of Triple City, um, Diaz looks and a brilliant signing and really shored up the defensive line. So hopefully the points continue there. And just to, you, just to go back to, just sorry, just to go back to Kane's value there. So he started at 10.5. So I actually think probably a bit of a bargain in, in, a, in an affected 10.5 for someone as consistent. Um, when you look at the price of Kevin De Bruyne or Vardy, he's now at 11.1. So if you've not had him in, you will have to pay a premium for him now. But Dan, over to you. I think for me, in terms of someone who's reliable, I think Fernandez for United just springs to mind. I know there's the argument, yes, he takes penalties and you look at his stats against the top six and it's not been that great, but you can only just look at what he's brought back this season. It's been very consistent. Just watching him, he's been quite a linchpin for United and everything seems to either go through him or he seems to be the one on the end of it, putting the ball in the back of the net. So I think he seems to be the key one for me. started off at 105 He's gone up to 11.3, 11.4, I think it is now. So and he's owned by over 50% of people, which tells you how reliable you must be if you're owned by that many people in fantasy. I've got to say, very well, very well argued. Although I would <laughs> say we are a democracy in the three chips since two against one, so I'm taking Kane forward. But top trumps for the argument, Dan. I do admire it. <laughs> Okay, on to the last one that we've got, the Lundstrom Scholarship. So the best person to come up with one of the top three sides. Dan, I'm going to hand over to you to start because you, you were quite hard done by in the last round. I think for me, it's it's one of two. Um, I think Anguissa for Fulham is definitely up there. Um, or I look at Lookman for Fulham as well, I think. They've between the two of them, they've not scored a huge amount of points. But the way you watch them play football, when Fulham actually are on it, they do look as though they're quite talented lads, and you can see that they have the potential to start creating more and doing more for the side. And I think if you put either of those two in a better side, I think they would have not doubled, but they would have definitely increased the amount of points they brought back this season. So I think, yeah, for me, they're the two that come to mind. I'd probably say Lookman edges it for me. He scored just a few more points. So, yeah, for me, I'd probably go Lookman. Yeah, I think Lookman at both. Both scored in the game last night. When I scored, I mean, scored points, the assist from Anguissa and the Lookman goal. So, Anguissa does probably look like a very classy midfielder, to be honest. I think he could play at a, a much better club. Jack, what about yourself? Well, I, th- I think, Dan, you've got a bit of recency bias there, really. Um, both nice players to watch, but you're comparing to Lord Lundstrom here. This is a bloke that, as a defender, was smashing kind of double-point holes every other week at one point last season. So, I mean, there's, there's only one real choice if we're talking about promoted 
or players in promoted sides. And I mean, that's that's Bamford. Um, I think, like we've discussed in the past, not not on the pod, he's a player that is frustrating to watch in the chances that he misses. But just the pure amount of chances that Leeds create, he's always going to score points and score goals. If if you take the obvious pick out of that, I think the the other two I'm left with is probably Dallas at Leeds. I think if you look at his points return, um, it stands out for the promoted sides. I think the way Bielsa has Leeds set up, his fullbacks are always going to be on the front foot and therefore score points. Um, we'll see what happens to Leeds the remainder of the season. Obviously, they're in a bit of a rut at the moment, and as with as with the the kind of Twitter controversy around their burnout. Who knows what will happen? Um, but yeah, just just really quickly, the last one is maybe Pereira. Um, again, that might just be looking at the last couple of games and the goals that West Brom are scoring. But if he can kind of continue that and build on the points he's got, he might be one that's kind of up there with with the Lord. Okay, so I seem letting you two go first. I think you've probably covered pretty much every promoted player, haven't you, between the two of you? <laughs> so a lot of sitting on the fence. Um, I'm going to be adjudicator though here because again you've picked every promoted player, um, and I'm going to pick Bamford. I don't think there is much competition in it. I think, like you say, there's a lot around the burnout in the second half of the team, the second half of the season for the team. I think Bamford's one that I've got on my team currently, and I think someone potentially I would think about leaving the team very soon just because I think with Bamford you get an element where he has had the more shots out of anybody in the Premier League and that's probably why he scored the goals he scored um, you know I'd like to think any of us if we had 100 shots at goal in the Premier League even one of us would get one you'd hope and, and I think with Bamford there's an element to that this year Carl I've seen you play fives mate I've, you'd be lucky to get one <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're going to look at um, preview of the next part of the year. So we're just going to look at giving our best hints to try and drive you forward into who you should be picking your teams in the second half of the season. So I think the first one we really looked at was Kevin De Bruyne versus Fernandez. I think with De Bruyne now with the injury, that knocks it back two to three weeks. But I still think it's a good debate to have between the two. I think Man City are looking like they're in form. And I think with Fernandez, I think there was a couple of weeks where there was a blank. Um, even this week, the assist that Fernandez got, I don't know how that was awarded. Um, I don't know. He must have friends in high places. So I don't know how that assist was awarded. Um, Jack, I'll hand over to yourself just to discuss what do you think here on, on this one. Yeah, so I think as a Fernandez owner watching last night, was grateful that he was given that assist. Um, he had, I think, two or three shots that, I mean, any other day those fly in. So he probably deserved at least some sort of points out of the match. But yeah, God knows how they've given him um, that assist. But yeah, I think really between, if I was to only own one between Bruno and De Bruyne, um, I think after De Bruyne's back from injury, I'll probably look to shift to him. Um, I think if you just look at the number of doubles that City are going to have um, between, I think it's game week 23 to 26 or 7, um, they have at least two or three doubles within that run. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably going to shift ownership, but that might not mean that Bruno drops. I think I'll look 
I think we'll come on to the debate around Salah and whether, whether or not it's time to move him on, but he might be the one that makes way rather than um, Fernandez. But as I said, if I had to pick one, obviously for now, sit on the ownership of Bruno, but throughout the rest of the season, I think De Bruyne's, De Bruyne's the, uh, the man to go for. So I think... I, sorry, Dan, hand over to you. So I think for me, I'd go opposite. I think I'd have Fernandez over KDB at the moment. I think you look at the amount of goals that Fernandez pitches in, especially with being a penalty taker this season, you've seen more penalties than ever being given. And he's dead set to take these penalties for United. Whereas you look at KDB, is he dead set to take penalties at City? Maybe, maybe not. It's a bit up in the air. And I think that's a massive factor um, in picking a player, especially, like you say, KDB's out for a while. And you look at City's fixtures when he potentially returns. So they said he's out until maybe the Liverpool game. So you've got Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, West Ham. They're tricky games to come back to. I don't think they're guaranteed of points, but Jack raises a good point in the fact there's lots of doubles. But on the flip side, you look at what United have got coming up, Sheffield United, Arsenal, Southampton, Everton, West Brom, Newcastle. It's not dead cert points, but I think it's as good as it really gets for a midfield player against those kind of teams. So I think what potentially kind of scares me about your analysis, Dan, is I've just made the switch to Fernandez, and your record of transfers leaves me a little bit worried, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I've made that transfer just based on the injuries for a couple of weeks. I think the strategy I'm probably going to employ is that I'm going to, keep Fernandez for them a couple of weeks where he's out injured and keep enough in the bank that I can get Kevin De Bruyne back if and when I need to do that. But I think there's almost something to be said about maybe freeing up funds to get both in your side. So I think myself currently, I've got Son, Kane, Salah um, and also Fernandez now. So could I squeeze Kevin De Bruyne in as well? Potentially again, if I took Son out of the team. So the next one I want to talk about is Jack Grealish. So there was a lot, there were some big point holes by Jack Grealish at certain points in the season. I would say from a fantasy perspective, the consistency may have gone and that potentially may be because he's been moved into a more central position. He was playing wide left. Um, looks like a position that's being filled by um, Traore, Watkins, Algarzi's coming in is almost a front three and, and Grealish has been cut, put deeper. Um, Jack, you've got Grealish, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's an interesting one. If you'd asked me that two weeks ago, I'd be, or even a week ago, I'd be dead set on keeping him up. I think I had him at his cheapest price, which might have been seven or seven and a half. Um, I know he's gone up a, a bit since then, but yeah, you're right about the like kind of twit, well, tweaking the tactical position that he's um, playing in that Villa side with, with others further um, forward in front of him. So maybe he's one that when I come to wildcarding, um, I look to move him on. But for now, I think even if you do watch Villa, he's still great. Well, he, he creates a lot still and is making those late runs into the box, kind of Lampard-esque. Um, so I think... He's, yeah, he's not going to probably replicate his points total from the first half of the year into the, the second part of the season, but I think he'll still do enough to earn his place as kind of a, a cheap-ish defend, uh, midfielder at kind of seven and a half uh, million or whatever he is now. Yeah, he's 7.7 7 at the moment, up from seven. Yeah. 
So Dan, someone that changes their team as much as yourself. I think potentially I was thinking myself about Madison. What do you think? Do you think Madison's probably a bit better than Grealish at this point? What, what What's your thoughts, Dan? I think in terms of fantasy, for sure. I think in terms of as an actual player, it's a tricky one. Um, I'd probably say Madison edges it for me anyway. But like you said, the tactical change in how Grealish plays now is slightly different to how he was at the start of the season. You also look at his points as well, 99 points. 24 of those was against Liverpool in a freak 7-2 win, which nobody saw coming. Realistically, most people who had him would have probably benched him anyway. Um, so for me, I don't really think he's worth getting in, especially at the price that he is now. And there are much better options at 7.7. You look at, like you said, you said Madison's a shout, he's 6.1. James Ward-Prowse has turned up for Southampton of late. Um, Barnes for Leicester as well. I think there are, at that price range, I just think there are many better players to get that are going to guarantee you the points more. Yeah, I think Madison is, is that's probably the way to look at it, really. If you're looking to bring Grealish in, you're probably comparing him to Madison. And there's only really one choice at the moment anyway. I think if you watch that, um, the interview of Madison after the, the result uh, last night or the, or the day before, the way he was talking about the work he's done um, with the kind of analysis team at Leicester to, to up his goals and what goals and assists output. I think hearing that um, from a fantasy perspective, ultimately goals and assists give you the chance of, of points rise or of a game week rise so yeah for me Grealish versus Madison is what it comes down to and at the moment Madison's the only real choice there I think the main Talking. thing the Madison thing is how many people have each of them as well so over a third of people have Grealish and at this point someone like myself who's third in a league of four at the moment what some 150 points probably by the end of this game week um, you need to look to differentiate and I think Madison offers that you look at how many people have him less than 10% of people have Madison um, with some of those key fixtures coming up Everton, Leeds, Fulham, Wolves hardly known for being great at the back this season I think for me it's a, it's a no-brainer to get him in over Greenwich I think it's a problem that I'm finding at the moment is there's a lot of similar teams so if I look I, I'm sitting at 60,000 so that, that's potentially, I think, is that top one or two percent in the world. And I think, look at myself and Jack, we've almost got identical teams at, at this point. So, and Jack's not too far behind me. So, I think in that in that respect, you have got to look at what the next move is to to differentiate. Which one I've thought about is probably Paul Pogba. I, I, I might have missed the boat in terms of the goal that he scored, you know, against Fulham, but. I think actually, I think Pogba's looking the world-class player he was built to be at one point in time. And I think it leads me to probably ask the question of, do we think United will keep up the form that they're in currently? And would that make them a team worth looking to put their players in? And Jack, what do you think? Well, so I guess if we don't talk about Bruno Fernandes, because we've kind of covered him in the debate around De Bruyne, I think. Yeah, he's a big hitter that is always going to score you points. Um, outside of him, I mean, United's defence, as of late, has been better than um, kind of the, the early parts of the season. But I, I don't think there's there's a lot of value in there. I think Wambasaka is just far too defensive as a as a right back to offer real kind of assists on a consistent basis. When you look at the likes of kind of Justin, like we've mentioned, 
even some of the kind of Southampton boys like Bednarak and Vestergaard, they're all chipping in every, uh, well, not every other game week, but ever so often on goals and assists. Um, and then you look to the top end of the pitch, Marshall is just one of those frustrating ones where, fancy-wise, whenever I've bought him in, he always lets me down. Um, and then with Rashford, I mean, again, goals and assists-wise this season, he's, he's doing pretty reasonable. If you had owned him from the start and had just sat on him, you'd probably be relatively happy with the points he scored you at his price. Um, but I do just think in terms of setting up your side, it's probably one that you'd look to avoid. And I think more broadly your point around, I guess, our sides being quite similar. I think the second half of the season is probably going to be a game of two halves, to use probably one of Dan's favourite cliches. Um, I think you're going to see from now until kind of game week 29, where there's a lot of doubles, and then I think game week 29 to blank um, game week, you're probably going to see similarities there because we're all going to be chasing the same doubles and avoiding the same blanks. Um, but then after that, I think myself, I'm looking to probably wildcard game week 30. Um, so I think it'll be those final eight games where, if if we're close enough anyway, where it'll be kind of make or break. And I'm sure managers across the kind of across the game will be looking at similar um, plays as well. Okay, I think that's good. A good preview of the next half of the year. And I think what we want to talk about next is should you be keeping Salah in the team? So. Salah, I think, is the most expensive player in the game currently at 12.5. And actually, he is blanked in the last four games. Currently against Burnley, nil-nil. Looks like it's just about to go in at half-time. And he's sitting on the bench. So it does not bode well going forward. And I think it probably links into a wider thing about Liverpool's form and potentially the, the burnt out over the last the last couple of years and I think probably start with Dan um, you've got Salah in your team also haven't you, what's your thoughts on taking him out because I'll probably do the opposite Yeah I've had Salah in since the start like most people but you look at it nearly 80,000 people have got rid of Salah this week um, he's not really performed of late in terms of fantasy I think for me the key thing that's happened at Liverpool is no Jota, he seemed to be, when he was in the side, Liverpool seemed to be very good, free-flowing and going forwards. But since his injury, um, there's just not been, there's been the odd game, but there's not been a huge amount of goals coming from Liverpool. And I think for the price that Salah is at 12.5, I think if you look at him, you've got to see that there's better value that you could spread elsewhere on your side. We shouted someone like Madison as someone to differentiate. you got Saka, and then that then potentially frees up a lot of money if you were to get in one of those for a Harry Kane if you haven't already got him in or maybe if, if you want to go a bit left field like what I've done and get Sterling in because KDB's injured it just frees up a bit more opportunity I think um, but I do it every year I go to get rid of Salah and he'll go and bag a hat-trick next game week and he's just got that capability it's a tough one for me I look at their fixtures and they look fairly reasonable coming up um, against Spurs, West Ham and Brighton. I think if I was going to get rid of him, it'd probably be when they've got City and then Leicester. And then they've got a couple of other tricky ones. Keep hold of him for now and then look to ship him off in a couple of weeks for me. Yeah, not to get us embroiled in a libel case on episode one, but some of the articles around um, caffeine dosing um, at Liverpool 
I mean, they might if that's genuinely something that's impacting them, they are literally just burnt out. So holding Salah, I think Dan, similar view in the fact that he always, always burns me whenever I get rid of him. But maybe this is the year when Liverpool are just going to be off it and you need to avoid all of their assets if you can. I think Robertson maybe still offers some sort of value at, at that premium price in defence. Um, but I mean, even that as an owner, I'm finding kind of hard to justify at the moment when you look at kind of Stones and Diaz and uh, Canseo, what they're doing at City. Um, but yeah, back back to Salah, I think. For me, I'll, there's probably bigger transfers for me to make at the moment in the side, especially with De Bruyne out. I think the obvious choice is to do a straight swap from Salah to Kevin. Um, so I think I'll give Salah two more weeks um, and actually probably just take a, a better look at some of the doubles coming up and see how, how those fall for Liverpool. Um, and then, yeah, make make a decision on him at that, at that point. Yeah, I think there's always one that's going to punish you, isn't it? If you take Salah out, you can so easily score a hat-trick. I think you look at the week that we mentioned earlier against Palace. We all had him captained and sitting, he sat on the bench and you thought to yourself, it's going to be a low-scoring week. And then he comes off the bench and puts in an absolute disgusting points total. So, I mean, it's going to punish you either way. Okay, so that, that brings us towards the end of the pod for week one. At the end of every pod, what we'll be looking at is king of the game week. So we'll take your suggestions on Twitter for this also, but we will all go through our king of the game week. So below 8.5, just basically to stop us picking Fernandez or Kevin De Bruyne every week. So at 8.5, I'm going to go for the one first, and I'm going to go... He got some bad rep earlier from Jack, but Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I'm going to go um, this week. So United, I believe, are playing Sheffield. And I think in that, Sheffield do tend to concede goals. I think if you look at the last four games, I think I think full-backs have got assists in two. So I think he does look to be getting forward a lot more. I watched the game against Fulham last night and he did tend to occupy the kind of forward positions a lot more than he has done previously. So I'm going to go Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the basis of a clean sheet and potentially an assist and hopefully some bonus points also. Being in my team probably gives me a bit of bias, but hey, sue me. Dan? Uh, I'm torn between two, if I'm honest, boys. Um, I think in Pat Bamford against Newcastle, your boys, Carl, have looked dreadful of late and got to look at Bamford as an option to bag in some serious goals but the person I'm going to go for is Gundogan for City I think with KDB out um, I think it's a key time for him to turn up if Pep it's tricky Pep loves roulette and never decides to play the players I want to put in Um, so he probably won't play now but against West Brom they've had a bit of a revival of late but I think City are going to see them away comfortably and I see Gundogan as being pivotal to that so he's going to be my pick yeah I like the pick Dan I think De Bruyne being out, I mean, he's, he's well, prior to the last couple of game weeks, he was playing a more advanced role on that City side. And I think now De Bruyne's injured, you'll probably see him push back up further up the field. And if he's on penalty duties, like he seems to be, you know, like it. For my pick, I'm sticking with City. And I think having owned him for a number of weeks and watched him hit the post a couple of times last week, or most recent game week, um, generally, he's always around the box. My pick's going to be Cancer. 
Um, I feel like he's just due a haul. Uh, game against West Brom. I know we, we talked at the top of the podcast about West Brom's kind of goal-scoring run of late. But, I mean, if any City or any any defence are going to stop a big Sam um, continuation, it's probably going to be City. Um, yeah, fancy can say it's, it's a bag, a goal, a clean sheet and maybe a couple of bonus. So I think you've also got a look, though, Jack, right, at the call of City. It's not exactly like West Brom had a great defensive record against Big Sam that we're used to seeing. Big Sam traditionally comes in at this time of year and is sort of seen as the saviour to keep you up. Plays solid enough football to keep clean sheets. But this season, he's come in. They've conceded so many goals. Five at Leeds, four at Arsenal, a couple at Wolves. And it just doesn't look like they're consistently performing the way Big Sam's team's doing. I think with the way City are playing... I think it could be like hot knife through butter. Yeah, fingers crossed. So now that Dan said that, that's that's a one nil West Brom win. <laughs> Put your money on it. <laughs> get the wages out of the bank and get it down the bookies. So to recap, Dan has gone for Gundogan, Jack has gone for Cancelo, and I've gone for Aaron Wan Pasaka. So we'll be keeping a tally each week of who wins and we'll report back at the end of the year on who wins that. And we encourage you all to put your your picks on Twitter also um, and we'll retweet the best ones. So that has been the first three chips pod. Um, Got in right at the ground there if you're still listening. Um, Thank you all and we'll speak to you again next week.